We're starting a new series today, and I'm actually really excited about the message for today. And uh, it'll certainly challenge you. My hope is it will encourage you and inspire you. Um, it's not just a message for dads, though. It is a message for everybody, although I'm going to speak to the heart of men today uh, without question. And so, guys, here's what I want to do. We're going we're gonna to pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Sound good? Father, thank you, Lord, for the moment uh, that we have together worshiping you, uh, Lord, celebrating you on this fine and great Father's Day. Lord, we worship you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Does anybody remember going to Blockbuster? Oh, yeah, that's right. When I was young, I say that loosely, when I was a young man, we would go to Blockbuster, and you'd go on Friday night, and you remember, if you, if you are in college, you may never have experienced the joy of a Friday night at Blockbuster walking up and down those aisles. You could spend an hour trying to find the movie that you wanted to rent. There was the new release section. There was the, the section for the older movies that were cheaper. You guys know what I'm talking about. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. What you may not know is that the word blockbuster has actually been around since the 40s. And it was a reference to an aerial bomb during World War II that had the destructive power to destroy a block. It was a blockbuster. Busted things up. And then as, the, as, as movies started to become more popular and the entertainment industry became what it became, they began to use this word to describe movies and entertainment and forms of media that were so disruptive to the manner in which you lived. In other words, it was a, a movie that was so packed with emotion or acting or drama or... or, or <sighs> All the big budget explosives and action that you would expect that you walked away and you talked about it. You came back and you bought a second ticket. You went back with your friends. You were going out to eat and you were talking about the movie that you saw. These movies were called blockbuster movies because they literally busted the block that they were on. People would talk. They'd go back. They'd spend money. The first summer blockbuster in 1975 was the movie Jaws. If you've never seen it, oh man, it still packs a punch. It's amazing. But I want you to hear this today. We're starting a series called Blockbusters. And I want you to understand this. We're going we're gonna to mention a couple movies, you know, in the next several weeks. Movies maybe that are old or classics or maybe movies that are newer. But, but sometimes, unbeknownst to a director or an actor or the people producing it, is that these blockbuster movies can point to what we would like to call blockbuster truth. Meaning it's truth so significant, so weighty, so important that if you would actually trust it, if you would believe it, you just might find that it busts your block, so to speak. 
That you would leave church and you'd be talking to the people around you, your, your friend or your friends or your wife or your spouse or your kids. That it would reorient your thought process. It would, it would cause you to change how you, you think. It would change how you give. It would change your very life because truth has a way of doing that, doesn't it? That's what makes truth truth. Truth in its very essence as a blockbuster, it will bust your block. And so today we're starting on Father's Day. No greater day. We should have brought some lazy boys, had some just fountain drinks for church today. No greater series to start on Father's Day than blockbusters. And I wanted to start off and talk to you about a, a movie just briefly, and it's going to point us to some truths in Scripture called Hacksaw Ridge. In my opinion, it's one of the best movies I've seen in the past 10 years. I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I've got a clip we're going to show, and that clip is dark, so be prepared. It might be a little bit difficult to see what's happening, but I'm going to set the stage for you, and I'm going to do so by reading the, the, the accommodation from the President of the United States to... Private first class Desmond Dawson. I'm just reading a couple sentences. What this man did is absolutely extraordinary. Not in just this one moment that you'll see in a second. But his life as an officer. Here's the synopsis of what you're getting ready to see a clip of. It's going to point us to something in Acts chapter 8. In fact, if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and be turning to Acts chapter 8. Here we go. Desmond Doss awarded the Medal of Honor for conspicuous gallantry in action above and beyond the call of duty while serving with the Medical Detachment 307th Infantry Regiment 77th Infantry Division. Private First Class Doss was a company aid man when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged cliff in Okinawa, 400 feet high. That's tall. And as our troops gained the summit, a heavy concentration of artillery, mortar, and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving Hundreds, if not thousands, back. Private First Class Doss refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area with the many stricken, carrying all 75 casualties one by one to the edge of the cliff, and they're lowering them on a rope-supported litter down the face of a cliff to friendly hands. He did this by himself in the middle of the night, lowering 75 wounded soldiers to safety. Now, you're going to see a clip here. We're going to dim the lights. And it's a reenactment in the movie Hacksaw Ridge of this scene. Ah, good. Okay, we got you. We got you. 
I'm gonna fix you up. You ready to get out of here? Sure am. Please, Lord, help me get one more. Help me get one more. Let me get one more. saying there, Lord, help me get one more. He literally said that. And when you watch the interviews of this man who was shot by a sniper shattering his arm and he took, he took a gun and used it as a splint, refusing to be carried out of the war. He uses a splint because the stretchers needed to be used for somebody else who had an injury worse than his, and he crawled on his arms for 300 yards. Man gave everything for the sake of his fellow soldiers. And to see him describe these events, Lord, help me get one more. That was his simple prayer. Simple, isn't it? Just a simple moment. I'm not saying his actions were simple. But his request to God was such a simple prayer. God, just give me one more. Give me the strength for one more. Give me the energy for one more. Help me to find one more. And so he went. This is all true. Had those ropes, found himself, a, he made himself a special knot to lower these soldiers down. It really is an incredible movie. Sorry. I won't keep going on about it. I may have to watch it today uh, for Father's Day. But I want you to hear this. The soldiers that he saved did not like him initially. He was beat during boot camp because he refused to hold a gun and to shoot it. And his passion was to save lives and not to take them. 
And so he wanted to be a medic, but his unit found him to be cowardly. And so they would take their boots off while he was reading his Bible and on his knees praying, and they would hit him over the head and throw their boots at him during his quiet time. And after these events, it was discovered after he saved 75 men in one night, it was discovered that he had lost his Bible on the field of battle. And these men that were so gripped by what he had done for them climbed back up on that hill and they risked their lives to retrace his steps, find his Bible. And they found it and they presented it to him. And you just see the tears. This is all in the interviews. I wanted to show all of them, but it, was, it would have taken all of service. But here's the truth. When I watched Hacksaw Ridge, and it's going to point us to Scripture this morning, it reminds me of a truth, a truth that is very easy to forget. And it's simply this. God cares about the one. He cares about the one. It doesn't sound novel, and it doesn't sound like, um, like I just mined out amazing biblical truth for you. But I want you to hear this. It's very easy for us, especially as men, men here today. What do we love? We love the big picture, don't we? We love to fly about 14,000 feet and, and see the mission at hand. We like to talk about the vision to take place. We like to talk about all of the bigger scope things, and that's not as a generalization, hear me. But oftentimes detail, the nuance of the one can be lost sometimes on men. We, 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 it's not that we despise it, we just pay more attention to the, the bigger things. And here's what I mean. If you've ever gotten engaged, nobody ever asks the man to share the story of the engagement. Nobody. Why? Because it would sound like this. Well, I like her. I love her. Bought a ring, and I proposed to her. That's how a guy tells the story. Facts only, right? Here's what, here's what took place. Here's what happened. Yeah, and I, and I can tell you from my own engagement, because... People ask Amy, well, well, how did he propose? Oh, my gosh. So, and it starts off with what I was wearing. It starts off with what she was wearing, what time I picked her up, where we went, what took place. These, these are the, the details, right? But I want you to hear this. God is not just a God of mission, and he is not just a God of vision or a God of nations. He's a God of also individuals. He's a God of detail. And sometimes ladies, again, it's a generalization, but they can get this really well and get this really right. And sometimes we as men can struggle understanding the God of one more, the intimate, the detail, what can sometimes feel trivial or small. Turn to Acts chapter 8, and I'm going to unpack this further for us. 
Acts 8, 4 through 8. We are in the presence of the early church and, and people are being persecuted for the very first time. And Philip, one of the apostles, excuse me, not an apostle, he's a disciple, has gone to this area called Samaria and he's begun to preach the gospel. And amazing things are taking place. Acts 8, 4 through 8. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And something extraordinary happens. Not that what just happened wasn't extraordinary. But what you wouldn't expect takes place. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, verses 26, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kendake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Philip is in the middle of revival. If you grew up Pentecostal, I did not. But you might have heard the word revival before. Maybe you went to a revival before. I've never really been to a revival but if I did, or a city was experiencing one, it would probably look just like this. Samaria says great joy was upon that city. Why? Because people are coming to faith over and over again. People are getting healed. There's miracles happening. There's salvations happening. There are baptisms taking place. This is the highlight reel of any pastor or any evangelist. You, this is what you live for. And at the peak, at the height of all the activity, of all the ministry, of all the, the gospel sensation, God says to Philip, I want you to go. I want you to go to the desert road. I, I want you to go to that place where it's really dry. Go ahead and start walking on that one. Which, by the way, that road was the less common, was the less traveled road. It was a road where very few people traveled on. And God is telling Philip, leave all the action, leave all the activity, and go out and walk on this road that very few people walk on that's out in the desert. And he does so. And who does he run into? But an Ethiopian man sitting on the back of a chariot who has spent either his owner's money or his money, whatever it is, it's an unprecedented amount of money that he owns and has in his possession a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the man is trying to read it, and he doesn't understand it. And God sent Philip to go trot next to that chariot to hear what my man was reading. 
and to ask him if he needed any help. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Because in it, we see the same principle that we see private first class Desmond Doss demonstrating in Hacksaw Ridge. It's this idea of of thinking small that has big results. It's thinking about the one, the one more. God, give me one more. I don't know what Philip's attitude was like. I don't know what his posture was, but I know what God's was. God saw the heart of this man, and he sent Philip out of the midst of tremendous revival to bring life to him. And that ministers to me because it reminds me that whatever I'm going through, wherever I am, whether I'm stuck on a desert road and I'm confused and I don't get what God is doing or I don't understand what I'm reading or I don't understand why God isn't responding to my prayer or I'm stuck feeling a lot of pain or I'm stuck feeling very bitter or I'm angry or I'm resentful or I'm fearful, God cares. None of that is lost on him. Because if I can learn anything from this story, it's that God sees the one. And if he sees Philip, and if he sees the Ethiopian eunuch, you know who else he sees? You. Psalm 147.4 says that God determines the number of the stars, and he calls them each by name. Do you know how many stars there are in the galaxy? Just the Milky Way. I don't even know, but it's in the billions. And when you look up at the heavens, God breathed them into existence. And it says that he knows each one by name. And sometimes if you're like me, you can wonder, God, where are you? God, are you there God, what are you doing? And yet what I'm reminded of, the blockbuster truth of the gospel is that God cares not just about the big and the grandiose and the mission and the vision and the nations, but he cares about the individual people that live there. And he knows everything that's going on in your life. So much so that the scriptures remind us that he has every hair on your head numbered. That means he knows everything. For some of you, you don't have any hair. And that means God knows that you are bald, completely bald. And that is amazing. Acts 8, 32 through 40. The eunuch is reading through Isaiah. And he doesn't understand it. And so he says, man, how can I, how can I understand this? This is confusing. Philip offers some assistance. He says, this is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or somebody else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Don't miss the amazing nature of this. Okay. It's easy to go to church. Maybe you're here, maybe you're kind of more seeking, and so you're kind of trying to figure this out. This is an amazing truth about God. And sometimes if you're used to being around church things, or maybe you've read the story a hundred times, or maybe you've grew up going to church, and you've had all the church you can just about handle, right? We begin to forget some of the just amazing attributes and qualities, the blockbuster truths about who God is. God cares about you, and he will move heaven and earth that you might have relationship with him. You see, We are all in many ways like the Ethiopian eunuch stuck on a chariot, unaware and in, in, in deception or confused or in pain or unaware of what God is trying to communicate at times. To move to use a movie reference, it's like we're on the battlefield, so to speak. But instead of being injured and needing to be rescued and lowered down a cliff, we are dead, spiritually speaking. There's no hope here. But what we see in the gospel and the truth that we see revealed is that God will move heaven and earth for you and for me. But instead of running out onto the battlefield with a little morphine pack and dragging soldiers to a place where they can get well or get amputated or try to get healthy again, God doesn't do that. He sent his very son. And instead of taking us out of the battlefield, he stepped into it himself. And he took the shots and he took the bullets and he took the punishment for our sin. And rather than us getting repaired and made partly whole again, we're made completely new. It's an amazing aspect of God, of the gospel that we see just in the snapshot of Philip in Acts chapter 8. Let's keep going. read the story this past week. It was random that I read it. But it was about a lifeguard in Jacksonville. And 
if you've ever been on the beach before where, where uh, the undertow is strong, oftentimes people have to get saved a lot. Because you just, you under, uh, you do not anticipate how strong an undertow can actually be. And so somebody was talking about their experience on the beach. I don't even know what beach, but it was in Jacksonville, Florida. And they saw this same lifeguard have to go out multiple times over and over again to save people. He wasn't even sure all the time if they were drowning, but you just couldn't tell. And, you, you know, you, and he just went and he risked his life for the sake of others. And this gentleman got up and he went to this lifeguard booth. It was almost more like a house. And he ducked inside to tell the lifeguard, thank you. And on the back of the wall in big black letters were the words, when in doubt, Go. And it struck him once again, the power of the gospel and the power of this simple thing called one. God, give me one more. We see God's heart for the one more when he sends Philip to go speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. But what about us? You see, if you're sitting here today, there's something that happens inside of you when you become a Christian, when God has changed you and rescued you and made you new. Now you carry with you the same heart and the same passion and the same zeal and the same fervor and the same bent nature for those who might not know him. And I believe God loves the simple faith of God. Give me one more. God, I'm praying today for one more person that I can give a word of encouragement to. God, I'm praying for one more random act of kindness that I can offer today. God, I'm praying for one more interaction, one more person, one more breath, one more gift, one more offering, one more, God. Would you give me one more that I might make a difference? Would you give me one more that I might impart? Would you give me one more? You see, sometimes we get so concerned with all these lofty things. That's what I do. We're going to start a brand new ministry. And we're going to need about 15 people to run this. And let's get the leaders here and develop this and get this rocking and rolling. And sometimes the best thing you can do is look at the one and give your life away to the one. Now, God cares about both. But this morning, this blockbuster truth, so to speak, that it's easy to forget about, especially on a Father's Day, on a day that's filled with joy, but for many is also filled with pain, is that God has not forgotten you. God knows right where you are. God sent his son, Jesus, to save you, to set you free, to make you new. He took all the shots for you. And then he, in turn, equips us and releases us that we might have the same heart that he has for those who need rescuing. The one.
And what's amazing is when one turns into two. And now those ones are each looking for ones. And so that begins four, and it's exponential. And it's amazing what happens when the gospel gets released. And we're not just filled with being gospel busy, but we're truly gripped with gospel activity. Where the truth of Jesus is setting people free and making them new, and you are hell-bent on kicking down the doors that those who do not know him might have a chance, when in doubt, go. So the message is twofold today. It's one that you would be reminded that you are never alone, that the God who knows every star and knows them by name knows right where you are. And just like he sent Philip, there is hope for you. You are not alone. God has not forgotten you, your pain, your job situation, your money scenario, your child thing, your parenting this, your marriage that pains of your past, scars from this, none of that is lost on God. If you'd open your heart this morning, you just might feel the Holy Spirit, much like Philip, bringing life to you today, pointing you to Jesus today, that you can go to him and put your faith in. But the other aspect of this message today is to light a fire in you. That you would risk it all. That you would sacrifice it all for the sake of another. That you'd be willing to storm hell, kick down doors. That you'd be willing to have one more conversation. That you'd be willing to pray for one more person. That you'd be willing to go and do for the one more. That's God's charge to us today. Father, we thank you on this Father's Day that you care for us, you care enough about us to send your son, Jesus Christ. Not to simply help us in our time of need, but to truly transform us and make us new. God, you've rescued us. You offer it freely. If you're sitting here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus, you've never accepted his sacrifice for you, then today is your day. Whether you've been going to church your whole life or whether this is new for you, this is a moment of faith. This is a moment for you to accept the gift of the one who has rescued your soul. Right where you are, say, Jesus, I put my faith in you today. 
You are my Lord and you are my Savior. Thank you for rescuing me. I put my trust in you today as my boss and my king. I turn from everything that doesn't honor you and I choose to follow you. Thank you that you cared enough about the one that was me. And if you're sitting here this morning and you know God is urging you and beckoning you, He's given people for you to pray for. People to have conversations with. And you need to be asking for the one more. God, give me one more. Lord, give me one more. Then today's your day. Right where you are, say, Lord, I'm asking that you'd give me one more. Give me one more opportunity. Give me one more person to pray for. God, let one more come to faith in you. One more, Jesus. Use me for the one more. Amen. Amen.